Hey everybody and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. Welcome back everybody to another episode of No One Fights Alone. I think that we've had some some really awesome guests uh, recently on the podcast and, and this episode is no different. Um, I want to give Josh a chance here to to introduce our guest um, and talk a little bit about her. Well, now I'm nervous because I'm worried I'm going <laughs> to screw up on her last name. Apparently, oh, yeah. I've been saying it wrong for her whole life that I've known her. This is Dr. Marcy Hainley, who is a professor of criminal justice at Utah Valley University and is a retired uh, Cobb County Sheriff's Office in or police department, whatever. She's a cop, retired cop, <laughs> Cobb County, Georgia, whatever they want to call themselves. And uh, she's also a veteran and just, she's involved in a lot of um, amazing movements and side projects around policing and, and the modernization of policing and wellness and so forth. And so Marcy, if you'll take a minute and tell us more about you and and your story and how a lady from Georgia now lives in Utah and is teaching at a school here. I get asked that question all the time. Uh, so my story starts actually in Pennsylvania. So I grew up in Pennsylvania and lived there for 20 years. And I ended up going into the military. Um, Primarily because I had no place to live and because I had $5 to my name and a car that didn't work. So I've been on my own since I've been about 16, 17 years old. And so I left for the military, uh, for the army, and I became a military police officer and I was on active duty for five years. So from there, uh, my last duty station was uh, in Fort Benning, Georgia, which is Southern Georgia. So I decided I didn't want to move back to Amish country. And so I decided... Are you Amish? I'm not Amish, okay. no. But I've been on Rumspringer. <laughs> so I've good. partied with them. Mm-hmm. It's been great. They can throw some serious cool Wild parties. barn raisings. Barn raisings are great. They're great to watch. <laughs> Is that the actual term for it? Barn raisings? Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. You, you yeah. can watch videos on YouTube and it's amazing. Like the whole community comes together. It's super cool. I know what I'm going to do this afternoon. Yeah. yeah. So isn't there? There's Amish. There's Quakers, and then there's Mennonites. Mennonites yeah. yeah. Okay. A lot of Lutherans too. All right. So I grew up Lutheran. Um, but yeah, so I grew up Pennsylvania. My mom passed away at 16, so that was a very pivotal change in my life. And um, I think really that's where, if we're going to talk about trauma or anything like that, that would be the first big thing that happened to me at 16. Um, and I'm the youngest of three girls. So I was the last one at home. And so, yeah, so fast forward to going in the military. Um, I guess within that story, I did go to college and I didn't do very well because I was still trying to deal with my trauma. And I just focused more on honestly partying than I did my education. And so when I went in the military, I did end up going back to school. And that's where I got my undergrad, um, was at Fort Benning, Georgia, because they had a uh, university that came on campus. So 
within that job, like I was in a community policing unit, a security unit, a traffic unit, and a deployable unit in my years. And then um, I decided I was getting out. Um, I actually was married and then was getting divorced. And so I, I just really felt like I needed to change a chapter of my life because that's what I call my pivotal moments or chapters. So I wanted to write a new chapter and um, I started applying for jobs uh, in Florida and in Georgia. I ended up getting hired at the Cobb County Police Department. We do have a sheriff department. Um, they're totally different though, obviously. And so um, I ended up moving up to Atlanta and um, I was at the police department for many years. And while I was there, let's say I worked patrol, I was a field trainer, I worked undercover narcotics, uh, and then I went to internal affairs. <laughs> so it was a multitude of jobs. And um, I did pride myself on being a hardworking woman. Uh, and I always tell people like, don't move me based on my gender, move me based on my work ethic. So I was huge on that, but pretty much anyone that knows me knows I'm the first one to get in a fight. If, if there's a fight that's happening, I have no problem jumping in. So I think my reputation like stood for itself. So, um, so yeah, so that was my experience at the police department. And, you know, from there I ended up I fell into education. It wasn't something that I planned on. I thought I was going to be like a cop for life. Like I had aspirations of leadership and working homicide and just different things like that. But I am very much a Christian. So I just felt like I was being called to do something else. And um, I decided, oh, I should digress and say, I ended up going back, getting my master's degree. And it happened to be right when I got transferred into the narcotics unit. So it was two huge events happening at one time. And I don't really remember getting my degree, but it happened. <laughs> and so, yeah, fast forward, I was in internal affairs as the recruiter and I was visiting these different colleges. And uh, I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. I, I might want to teach or something like that. And so I kind of started doing it part-time and that led into getting my PhD, which led into applying all over the United States and figuring that the good Lord would put my feet where they needed to be. And somehow it was Orem, Utah. So I've been teaching criminal justice classes here for, uh, let's see, since 2014. So that's sort of my path. That's the, the quick version, even though it wasn't quick, but. So eight years in Utah. Eight years in Utah, yeah. In the heart of Mormon land. Yes. <laughs> How are you holding up? It's very challenging. Um, I do live up in Salt Lake City, um, so, you know, religion. There's a little more, more heathen ratio up there. There's a little more flexibility, <laughs> yeah. There's there's more acceptance. I would, that would be a good word I'd use. Okay. There's more acceptance, acceptance for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, living here, this has been the hardest place I've ever lived. It really is. Um, I fit right in in Atlanta with so many different people, and coming here has been very challenging. Um, I'm a very bold woman and I tend to say what I want to say and what I mean. And, uh, that doesn't sit well sometimes with people. Um, and I think that also comes from being a cop because you're, you have to confront people. You have to, if there's a problem, you have to solve it like right there, then and there, and you don't have time to like waver. So when I encounter a problem or someone 
says something that I don't agree with, I'm going to put my two cents in. And sometimes that doesn't go so well. And, and that's okay. You don't have to necessarily like me, but I'm going to give my perspective and I am going to always stand up for myself. Yeah. So, and so I think that, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I live in Utah County, heavily tattooed man from California. Yeah. It's definitely very interesting. Um, but I hope you're okay with broaching this subject and, and we haven't on this podcast yet, but can you describe what it's like being a woman in a male dominated space? Uh, you know, as a police officer, were you sure. were you treated differently? Um, did you have to stand up for yourself more? Kind of what was that experience? Well, I think you could even back up and talk about the military too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. the military and working in law enforcement, um, because I've been on my own so long, I've always fought for everything I have. Like, and that's a lot of me that people don't know. Like sometimes people take my assertiveness as aggressiveness because I will fight for what I believe in. Um, and that carried over into the military and it carried over into law enforcement. And I will say that, um, there are people that are more accepting of women police officers and there's the old school mentality of, uh, women should be at home with barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and stuff like that. And that is not me hands down. <laughs> I do like to cook. I don't have children. Um, I chose my career. Um, my career was way more important than having kids. And that is a huge thing. That's a huge difference between like, I would say Georgia and Utah is that a lot of my girlfriends are there. A lot of them are still single. They don't have children. Um, and I came out here and it was like, you don't have kids. Like what's wrong with you? And I'm just like, it's a choice. So that's been one thing that I have definitely been judged for out here. Um, and for not being married. Um, so it's, it's been interesting, but in the workplace, it, every time I transferred to a new unit, I had to, had to re, what are the words? Everybody was kind of looking at me and trying to sort of size me up and what's she going to be like? Is she going to be a bitch? Is she going to be hardworking? Is she going to be a slacker? Um, but I think as people started, as my reputation sort of took hold, everybody pretty knew, pretty much knew like, okay, she's pretty tough. She's not going to put up with your shit. And I don't like, and I'll call people out. I have no issue with that. And, and, but I also expect the same in return. Um, moving to units, you know, when I went over to our narcotics unit, um, we're a multi-jurisdiction unit. So you have people from different agencies and there was, there was only one other female at the time. And, um, that was really interesting. Um, I will say I excelled in that job because I was a woman. Um, because, because dudes just want your phone number. So it's easy to buy drugs. Um, whereas with guys, it's all like, Oh, you the police, Yeah, you know? So, so it was advantageous, um, to, to work in a job like that. But, um, but again, still, I had to get my reputation because we also served our own search warrants and stuff like that. So, um, the difference between me and the other gal was that I'd been in the military and she hadn't. And so I had a lot more training, like on entries. Tactically and, sound. Yeah. Competent, so yeah. it was so very different with how people viewed us. And when you got put on a search warrant or not, cause you got picked. 
So I often got picked <laughs> because I had the tactical background. Um, whereas that particular individual, I did not necessarily want to work with her. A little more high Sabrina, Charlie's Angels type. Yeah. yeah. You know, right. she was she was good at certain things and just not good at certain things. And, and, and for that matter, so was I. And so was every other guy I worked sure. with. So, but yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging. You know, I was just teaching yesterday on like women in law enforcement and sexual harassment and stuff like that. And, and I want to say this since I'm being recorded, like I will say I have definitely been sexually harassed, but I will also say that I've done it in return. Um, because that's the culture. That's a big cultural piece of working in law enforcement. And, and most of my female cop friends we're all, we all have all the same mentality. We'll turn around and talk shit just like every other dude. And so, you know, when we talk about those kind of topics, I don't know. Sometimes I just think it can be overzealous. And it can be uh, like my, my interactions and stuff with, with some of the women in, in, in my workplace where I'm younger. Granted, now uh, in my position, there ain't nobody telling dirty jokes around me. Right. So, unfortunately, so I never hear anything <laughs> cool. But uh, you know, yeah, back then it was like the the. <clears throat> I think I think the way, for me, I kind of identified as okay. Well, the 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 female coworkers I had are were they coming in with the persona of a mother, or a sister, or a little sister, you know? And it's like if they'll be my sister, we're good to go. But if they're gonna mother me, no. And if they're gonna you know, you shouldn't tell dirty jokes and, and, and stuff like that. Or a little sister where it's like, Hey, I need you to compensate for something that I'm not confident in, you know? So yeah, being able to, you know, what you're describing is, Hey, you were able to assume the role of I'm your sister and I can, I can handle my own stuff and you're going to handle your own stuff. Yeah. And, and if you, if you want to talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. And if you want to try to embarrass me, I got one for you too. Right. And it, it, it really does create uh, a cultural um, equality Yeah. throughout an organization. If, if, if we don't treat you or default, oh, well, she's going to be my mom or my den mother or whatever you want to call it, or we have to treat her like a little sister. She's, she's one of us who happens to be a woman. Yeah, and I will say that all the guys I worked with were very protective of me, and that was kind of fun um, because we are so few as far as women in law enforcement. Like, we would have new new guys come in, and they'd be like, oh, check out this girl, check out this girl. And, like, for me, my buddies would all be like, look, she doesn't date cops, so just forget it. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I live by the mantra, don't get your honey where you get your money. Uh, so so that was... Yeah, like, it's just, it adds more stress than than is necessary. And in fact, when I got moved to recruiting, the chief sat me down and he was like, um, well, I got asked where I wanted to go because I had been dealing with a, a trainee that was quite interesting is the best way I'll put it. And so they, I guess they, you know, they were, uh, I don't know, throw me a bone or something. But I just was like, I'll go where you send me. You know, I'm not going to ask for favors. But anyway, he said, he was like, you know, we really need you to recruit women. And I'm like, you know, it takes a special woman to do this job. Like, I can look at my students and I can probably handpick which ones I think would be good at the job or even in recruiting when people come up to me. Because it takes a tough mentality. Like, I say, I've been called a bitch every way you can possibly think of that word. 
And it's just like, okay, yeah, that's great. Call me that if that makes you feel better, you know. But, I, I mean, I worked in a very high crime area, and I was the minority in that area, and I loved it. And I connected with the community. I got in fights. I mean, we, we would chase people. I mean, our crime rates were super high because we butted up to the city of Atlanta. And so we also had a policy where we could chase city of Atlanta couldn't chase. So if you were coming into our town, Cobb stood for count on being busted because we were coming for you. And, mm -hmm. and I was happy to be one of them. So it was great. Like I love that job. It was amazing. I never thought I'd leave law enforcement, but again, from a Christianity perspective, I just felt like I was being called to do something else, which I really do love too, which leads to kind of, maybe what this podcast is is about is looking at wellness and you know how do we take care of people and I never thought I needed to be taken care of I'm a strong ass woman I don't need a man I mean I love I love having a man but I can handle my own and and I've done it for a long time but a few years back the demons started creeping and that was like what the hell is wrong with me we talk about sleepless nights. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm just going through menopause. Maybe TMI on that, but whatever. Like, that's what happens with women. We go through that and our bodies change. But I'm like, no, nah, something's more than that. Like, I'm not sleeping. Now I'm starting to have flashbacks. I'm starting to just think about things and tell stories in classroom space. And I just start shaking inside, like sort of right now. I can already feel myself shaking a little bit and it's just this weird feeling that you get and I was like something's wrong with me and I was dating someone at the time and he would he would ask me about something and just keep pushing my buttons about it and I'm like leave it alone I don't want to talk about it just you know and and that person was not in law enforcement had been in the military so that that was okay but I just felt like sometimes the buttons were being pushed just to piss me off. And I'm like, I can't do this. And so I am on these different Facebook groups and I found one particular group and someone reached out to me about a faith-based program for trauma. And I'm just like, whatever, I don't need help. I got friends. I'll talk to my friends. That's a common response, right? Mm -hmm. We all talk to our friends. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe... Maybe I need to try this out. So it's faith-based. I'll give it a go. So I, I went, and it was like this 12-week program, and it was free. So that was that was good because I was like, I'm not paying for therapy, yeah. right? I don't, I'm don't. i on a, one income. I'm not trying to go talk to no dang. I'm not that bad. I'm not so bad I'm going to pay for it. Right. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And, and look, I got friends. So mm -hmm. I'll call my friends. I'll call my buddies. Like, They'll, they'll have all the answers for me. We'll get through this, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, so I went to this 12-week program, and it was actually, it was phenomenal. It was really good. And it really made me think. And I was sitting there talking to other first responders about calls we've been on. And like, so I'm talking like normal conversation of a law enforcement officer. And you could bring your loved one or spouse or whoever. And this, this guy's wife is there and... She's like looking at me as I'm telling this case, this story that's traumatized me that has now come to surface. And I remember her <laughs> coming up to me after and she's like, 
I really think that you should go do EMDR. And I'm like, what do I need that for? That's therapy? No, hell no. I ain't going to therapy. You're like, I ain't no bitch. Honestly, that's the mm-hmm. way I was looking at it. Yeah. And and anyway, so the future, fast forward a little bit down the road, her and I became very good friends. And she's like, look, you really need to go talk to somebody. I'm like, why? I've had friends in therapy for years, and I see nothing changes with them. So why would I go? So... I gave this some thought and I said, you know, she's like, make me a promise. I'll do it. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. I promise you I'll go one time. I'll go one time. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to vet this person. Okay. Whoever I go talk to, whoever you're going to refer me to, better have an understanding of public servants. If they don't, I'm out. But but I'll hold, you know, if I, a promise is a promise. My word is my word. With That's how I operate my life. So... Anyway, so I end up connecting with this guy and I go and happens to be who Lyndon PD is connected to. Should I say the name? I don't know. Either way. Um, So I went to this guy, Ryan, and I straight up told him from the very moment I entered, like, I'm vetting you. I don't know if I like you. If I don't like you, I'm not coming back. And I start basically interviewing interrogation. (laughs) It's what I know. But I need to fill this guy out like... He's never worked in law enforcement. So who are you working with? Like, are you working with any other female first responders? I want to know that. Like, he's only worked with one. But we're talking and talking, and I don't know. There was this comfort level I did have about him. And I said, okay. Like, at the end, I was like, all right. I feel good enough. I'll come back. Right? So he tasked me with writing out my trauma on paper. And I was like, dude, do you know how much paper I'm going to work on here? This is a lot of shit. Okay, you're talking years of, you know, working in the hood, working gangs, drugs, the gamut. And, yeah, so I sat down to write all that out, and I'm just crying. And I'm like, God, I'm broken, clearly, or I wouldn't be crying like this. Because only bitches cry in my mind, right? I'm sorry, I keep using that word, but it's true. And so then I go back and we, we start doing EMDR. And he had told me, he's like, look, it seems like you're ready to release this information. So, we, you know, you may not be here forever. And that right there sold me because I was like, all right, this guy is not trying to keep me around forever. Whereas I see, like I said, my friends go to therapy and they're, they're like always, it seems like they're always there. We always there. Is it not working or what? So anyway, so did EMDR six times and I felt a lot better and I've never slept like I have after each session because I guess the moving of the information in my brain and how it was processing allowed me to finally deal with it and not like it wasn't like instantaneous. Like we didn't know what was going to happen, but I went home and I remember the first time he did it and I I slept. I was like, oh my God, I can actually sleep. It's a miracle. So anyway, I went back to him and then finally we kind of got to an ending point. And he's like, look, you can come back anytime for a tune-up. I said, great. So I haven't been back, but I sort of am feeling like I probably should. Because I've had some other events happen in my life. I'm working through some grief and, you know, maybe I'll go back for that. But that was the... All of that, I say all that to say that was my aha moment of realization of holy shit, like I'm broken, this stuff's catching up to me. We didn't have that stuff back then. 
I don't have to be the quote unquote little bitch anymore. Like I can actually be okay with myself. And if there's people like me, it, if there's people like me going through this, I'm sure some of them are my friends and I'm sure like I can connect with people here in Utah. And of course, by this point, Josh and I have become friends. Um, and I think I even called you in that process or something. Yeah. But I also work for a nonprofit that we do like we're advocacy for public servants and it's called Project Overwatch. And so I went to the president of our group. I'm the vice president. And um, I was like, hey, I've got this idea. Like there's so few women in law enforcement and there's also so few women in fire in the fire services that what if we created a sort of like wellness program for women and to be inclusive of just women, you know, and, and, you know, we have gotten some kickback on that and that's fair. Um, because, you know, we want to talk about, you know, being open to everybody. Uh, but for me personally, I just felt like there's so few of us that deal with a little extra as far as, you know, being moms and stuff like that, that we could put something together. So, so our president was like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds great. Like, and I just, I'm the type of girl, like if I come up with an idea, I just run with it. Like get out the way I'm on fire <laughs> and I'll call people and get lots of ideas. And of course, one of the first people I called was Josh. And I was like, I got this idea. What do you think? Here's, here's kind of how I see it happening, unfolding. And he was like, I'll send all my women to this. And I'm like, yes. Okay. Even if we only get that amount, great. But we had, um, when I came up with the idea, I was like, I can't do this alone either. Um, cause I'm, I'm retired. So I don't have the contacts here in Utah that I have in Georgia. I have a ton of contacts back there, but, um, I had created another program, a boxing life skills, first responder program. And I'd made some of the mentors became my friends. So, um, a Lieutenant with the highway patrol and I got together and I said, look, this is my vision. I said, can we find a firefighter? So we found a firefighter as well from West Jordan fire department, uh, a captain. And so the three of us got together and we decided we were going to create a first, first responder, an all women's first responder retreat that we hosted in park city. And, uh, we were working with the national ability center. That is a organization. Everybody should look them up. If you're a veteran, they're amazing. They have programs over there that are free for your family and for your individual self. And so I knew about them cause I've utilized them and they have a lodge. And so we decided that that was a perfect location to kind of have everybody stay. And, um, we, we contacted the governor's office here in Utah, the Lieutenant governor specifically because she was a woman. Um, I just learned recently that <laughs> Utah is in 50th place for equality and like pay scales and stuff like that for women. And I'm just baffled by it. So I'm glad that we're, we're doing what we're doing. And the, the lieutenant governor's office was like, oh, yeah, we'll support you guys. And we're all in. And we had them come over and speak um, and support our event. So at the event we did, um, you might have to help me with this, Josh. I'm going to try to remember everything. We did archery, indoor rock climbing. We did team building. Um, we did resiliency. We did yoga, mindfulness, meditation. We did marriage, trauma, and communication. We brought a gal in 
that um, she was shot in the line of duty down in Tempe, Arizona. And um, I met her at a conference in Oklahoma. And so she came in, her and her husband, and they were talking about navigating their relationship while she's going through being shot and stuff like that. And then on the flip side, because I'm single, I was like, well, okay, what about our single ladies? And what about people going through divorce, which we did have a few people um, that that was happening to at the time. So we talked about building peer support, your, your own network of people, um, how you build that out, how you reach out to people, sort of what being single looks like. And then we did a whole session on leadership because women don't go into leadership hardly at all in police and fire and just trying to encourage that piece of it. And so we had sent out a survey and we'd asked like, as a woman, what kind of issues do you have at your organization? So we had that data. So we were, so that's kind of allowing them to like make a complaint per se, but we had a plan of not just, okay, you're going to make the complaint, but we're going to come up with solutions. Right. So we actually put the gals in groups as in that leadership, um, event and we had them come up with solutions that they had to present in front, of, in front of all the other women. And it was just open dialogue and open conversations. And it was amazing. It was like, hands down, there were barely any, any issues. Um, and one thing that I did strategically that I thought was kind of funny was when all the girls came, like some of the girls knew each other. Like Oran brought... I think there were six, six girls, I think so. something like that. So they already sort of had like their little click. And this is nothing I wouldn't say to them because we still joke about it. And um, one of them, your, uh, Kara, your canine handler, she, I had everybody seated strategically. And she said, is the person that we're sitting with at this table our roommate? And I said, well, you're about to discover that, yes, that is the fact. That is the case. Mm -hmm. And what we did is we made sure it wasn't someone from their agency because the whole goal was that you find a friend outside of your organization that you can go and that can be your like peer that you can talk to you about the issues that you have. And it's not someone necessarily internally because internally you may not trust people you work with. So and if the we perspective give you is oftentimes too close to your own. Yeah. Because you're looking at things through very similar lenses versus somebody who is completely disassociated from that organization yeah. and the culture and stuff like that to, you know, and they're not going to have to work with you. And so it's easier for them to call you out on your shit maybe too, because, hey, I don't have to see it every, every day at work. Yeah. It's a fresh perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. It's because you're, you're removed like emotionally from whatever scenario. Cause if I start talking about somebody to one of my colleagues, they probably know who they are and already have a perspective on them. So, um, so that was one of our goals. So, so everybody stayed with someone they didn't know. And, um, and then of course the goal was once we leave the retreat to try to keep everybody connected, which we set up a Facebook page, a private Facebook page. And like just this past Sunday, um, a bunch of us all got together, uh, for a barbecue and, you know, just, I'll call it fellowship. We were having fellowship together. Everybody is talking. It was kind of funny. It was the first time we all got together that people brought a plus one. And so like the husbands were there and all the husbands were like fist bumping, like, man, you're a tough man. Like, <laughs> because it does, it takes a strong man to, to be married to or date a cop or firefighter, especially with the trauma piece too. And if you haven't worked in that realm that's a whole nother layer 
that you're just unfamiliar with on how to even handle your first responder. How do you deal with their trauma? So because that retreat ended up turning out so well, we're actually hosting another one. We're actually hosting two um, in 2023. So we'll do a cohort, another cohort of Utah, um, first responders, uh, police and fire again. And then I just flew back to Georgia and met with a bunch of police chiefs and fire chiefs, and they're going to send us, uh, 40, um, 40 employees from different agencies in the Metro Atlanta area out here that we will, um, add to this retreat. And the retreat will change a little bit. We, we're going to add a few things, sure. And so it's going to be an extra day um, because from our feedback, people were feeling like Saturday. Saturday was really like top heavy on the emotional connectedness. Like we we had a few folks, a few ladies that were struggling. We had an on-site therapist, which was phenomenal. And that worked out great because the girls were able to like at least let go of some of their information. And then they were able to connect um our therapist on site was able to provide those resources for once we left the event of where they can go for continued therapy. So it's been great. I've had girls stop by my house. Um, people have called me. Um, I'll have like from your agency, Josh, like some of the girls they'll call when another girl gets in to like, you know, if it's a shooting or something's happening, they'll contact me. Cause I was like, you better contact me. That's, that's a, that's what this is for. Like, and it's been great. Cause, um, there's been a lot happen with some of these girls that have been through, um, through that retreat since the retreat. Yeah. So, very true. so it's been great to create that network and we just want to keep growing it. So. Very good. It's amazing. No, that's a like, lot. <laughs> no, this is, this is great information. I mean, like, the women that enter Chateau, at least, it is, they're, they're begging for something like this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they want to have that connection of people who know what they've gone through. Uh, and it, it, there are, you know, little differences, the different gender that you are. You just, you experience the first responder space differently. And opening up something like this, I mean, for a lot of people, when they're they're dealing with mental health and wellness, uh, you know, the recipe for healing is connection. It's it's up there at the top because you have to feel involved in a community and you have to you know see people that help you figure out what's going on with you because they've been through it. Right. And is that, is that what part of it is about? Is yeah. just connection? Absolutely. That's the biggest part of it. And that was one of the responses we had to the, sur- the, the survey that we sent out after when we were asking about, you know, how they felt about all of it. And a lot of girls were like, it was great that other people understood me and I connected with somebody. And that's the huge piece of it. We've had, I've discovered that it, it's been interesting because like one day I contacted one of the gals from um, a northern police department and I said, hey, let's grab lunch. And she's like, yeah, it sounds great. And I, she goes, oh, so-and-so from a southern agency um, was going to have lunch with me as well. And I was like, oh, you guys have become good friends? And that's awesome. Like that's what it was about. That's what it was intended for. It was what it was designed for. Um, and like I said, we just want to keep building it. And one of the things that we want to do is 
Um, since it was like a pilot last time, you know, we want to just keep building it. And I don't think that there won't be an opportunity to build it because I hope that we're able to, I'm putting some pieces of it together to do a speaking engagement, hopefully down the road with the um, NOLI, which is the National Association Law of law, women's law enforcement executives. I think I got that acronym right, but I can't spell your last name right. So <laughs> that's <laughs> true. But I think once we start rolling this information out, or even with ISCP, like I think people are going to be like, "Oh, this is great. We want to do it." Are and you guys that, presenting at IC, ISCP this year? I, I'm hoping for 2023. Okay, cool. Yeah, to present it out there. So right now, because we'll be able to collect more data. By the time ISCP 2023 comes up, so we'll have three cohorts of women. So we'll have, we'll actually have a hundred, at least a hundred participants in total that we can kind of roll that information out. Right now, we only had 30 plus a few uh, volunteers. So that's, that's our data set right now. So, um, which is still great data. I mean, they were completely honest and it was amazing. Um, just how it worked. You know, we didn't connect with everybody. I want to make that clear. You know, there was like a few girls that they loved it, but they haven't been present by way of continuing those relationships. And that's okay. Uh, we didn't figure we were going to get all of them, but, um, but it was great. I mean, in any, in any type of thing, you know, it's also, I think people could be nervous that now these people know a little bit too much about them. Yeah. Um, That might be part of it. Like I was able to, be free and open with them because I didn't know them and I don't want to continue to know them. Right. Because that's part of my self-defense is that I was willing to share, but stay away now. Yep. It's been great. Like it, it, like I said, I, the only reason I did it. So we all, I feel like we do things in our communities like that we love to do personally. And so in a, in a little piece of it, get selfish, right? We get a little self-serving. And for me, it, it was also about my healing too. Um, in being able to help other people. Because I think anybody that's a cop or firefighter is in it to help other people. So now that I am not a police officer, an active police officer, what can I do to help those who are active? And that's a big piece of who I am. And I wouldn't, that's, I would not change that about myself. That's what I love about myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we just talked about it with our last one is service, right? Yeah. Like, I think that part you've been through a lot and you've also done the work to work on yourself. And so part of that continued growth for yourself is to give back. Yeah. Right. And we had to be very transparent. Our, our little three pack committee, when we were welcoming all everybody at the event, like I said, Hey, we've got to be transparent. I had just lost, lost my nephew. And so I literally like a week before. Yeah. The week before. Yeah. And he was 16 with cancer and was the absolute heart and soul of my life. And I remember I was, (laughs) I was just thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to stand in front of everybody and be okay? And the truth is I wasn't. And I told everybody I wasn't. And when, when the room started filling up with people, like there were these alpha personalities, you could feel it, like... I mean, you could tell who was cops and firefighters. It was so easy, right? And I was like, oh, this is this is going to be interesting. And so I welcomed everybody because it was my organization and I was just the first person out of the three of us to speak. And um, 
I said, told the girls, I was like, I'm about to be transparent. So hang on. <laughs> so I start talking about how I'd been in law enforcement and, you know, some of the trauma that I had been through. And then I had told everybody, I said, and just last week, like I lost my favorite person. And I just started pointing at everybody and I was like, I need you and you and you and you. And that's why we're doing this. We're here for you guys. And you're also here for us. And the whole mood of the room completely shifted. And I thought, did I just feel that? Am I making that up in my head? And then after we were all done talking, I asked one of my friends, I was like, let me ask you a question. Did the mood of the room change? And she's like, oh, totally. Because from that point on, we humanized it. All three of us. Because the other two girls got up, the other, the lieutenant with highway patrol, and then the fire, fire chief, like we both got up there, they both got up there and we're talking about why. We had to tell our why. Like we're not just paying lip service like, oh, this is great, we're having this event. No, we're, we're you guys as well. And I think that, that part helped make it all successful. Um, and it also gave like a safe, we'll use those words, safe space. It gave everybody a safe platform to just feel the way they want to feel, say what they want to say. Oh, I think so. I think because I think even going into it, just because of the way we operate, you know, every one of those ladies went there thinking, okay, they're calling this a retreat. Obviously, it's training. The only thing my police department's going to pay for <laughs> is for me to work or train, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, they go in there thinking, okay, this is training maybe it's kind of a new age training but but at the end of the day it's training and what you did with that with that commentary said no uh you're going to learn some things but this isn't going to be training with an instructor and people sitting there this is now a communion you will learn from me i will learn from you we will all rise together on the same tide and i think that's the that's what i've observed in uh my participants is they came out of that with a whole different perspective on um, what they sometimes, for for very good reasons, feel like it's this us versus them mentality where, you know, I just Googled a second ago, in America currently it's 12.6% of police officers are women. Yeah. Okay, so tiny, tiny, tiny minority. Um Okay, so it, how else, if they're, if they're part of a, that small of how do they not feel a certain sense of us versus them in anything and that being part of what might feel like an intimidation to go into leadership positions or to you know work for different opportunities in their careers and so forth um when you already feel marginalized for no good reason and you know i think they came out of there without that us versus them and more of a we are part of them of you know a we inside of the them you know yeah. and they're you know i've i've it and it's been healthy in that i think a lot of them have found their their footing a lot better some of them it's it's uh some of their supervisors are struggling with the voice that they found now which has been interesting <laughs> You know, that's not my fault. <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm not blaming anybody, but and and it's not a bad thing. But it's created a new form of uh, conflict that we are having to work together as an organization, where certain people were uh, go along to get along, and now it's like, nah, bullshit. And you know, people are like, oh, okay. 
you know, and let's deal with it. And not that the, the, the one person or the other ever is exactly right in that situation anyway, but it's like, okay, now let's work this thing out. You know, let's massage this and make this into something that, that, that works for us all, you know, moving forward. And yeah, I think helping them find, uh, that sense of community, one of the, but thinking of that same number too, and relating it to, um, wellness and getting help, you know, 12.6% of women, uh, are in the, of police officers are women, but man, up at, up at Chateau, we've always got in our law enforcement group, there are always at least one, if not two or three, there's a higher percentage of our, of our cohort there that are women than are actually women in the field, you know? And, and to me, it's like, oh, okay, well, why is it, is it that more women need more help? No, I think what it is, is it's more women being like, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity to, to do these restorative mm-hmm. wellness type practices. And I tell you what, in, in the sessions, in the group talk and everything like that, their perspectives are so closely, uh, the, 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 the fellows and stuff, they listen so close to what the gals have to say, you know, because that perspective is so, um, so much more introspective than these guys have ever been in their lives. I think women are just naturally more intuitive and naturally more introspective. And, and so when they're in that environment, like, oh yeah, you can actually like talk about how you feel and, and here's a perspective and everything like that. And they're like, wow, you know, and, and, you know, I, I've, I've read a little bit with, okay, feminine and masculine energies and stuff like that. It's like, I think that's some of what that is, is it's helping some of their male counterparts find a little more feminine energy in their life that they don't have to be an, an alpha asshole all the time. They can actually be a really nice, kind person at the same time and be perfectly effective in their career, you know? Yeah. Well, think about it. I mean, for to they command respect in that room. I think partially due to the fact that there's already a stigma in receiving help mm-hmm. in the first responder world. There is a stigma of being a female in the first responder world. And so if you combine those two things, I think the other responders in the room understand that that person, it, it took some balls. They ran through two yeah. walls. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, they went through yeah. two walls to mm-hmm. get help. Mm-hmm. And that's, ball- that's it's ballsy. Mm-hmm. So that's the bottom line. So they, they sit down and shut up. Yeah. Because they understand that this person is risking it all mm-hmm. to be in that environment. Yeah. And it's amazing to hear him reference uh, different uh, female therapists up there where it's like, she tore my ass. Mm-hmm. And she was right. <laughs> you know, where it's like, they probably don't say that about anybody that they're not legally, you know, I, well, even, even in there, it's like, there's guys that are bitching about their wives all the time or whatever, their girlfriends, whatever. But, you know, it's like. These people that are there helping him and giving it's like, I love these people, you know, and it's like, well, she's probably meaner than your wife, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's calling you out in your shit a lot harder than anybody ever has in your life. Yeah. But they're like, oh, I appreciate that. I, I value that, you know, yeah. and man, the ones I work with up there, they, they do a really, really good job of that. So <laughs> they do the work. Yeah. Yeah. They really do. They really do. Well, one thing that's going to be cool about, like I said, this retreat is when we do it again, we're actually going to ask the last group of 30 people if they want to volunteer with us so that they can continue serving 
in that mental health lane. And we've, I've already had a few people say that they definitely will help. Now, some are like, I'm not speaking. I'm like, oh, no, it's fine. But we want to keep empowering them. Yeah. Like, so you gave, a per, you gave it the percent on police, fire, 7% nationally. That's such a low number. Um, when I was back in Georgia, I was asking um, my agency, because they'll be part of the, the 2023 group. I was like, what's your percent? And so they only have like 8%. So they have, they have like 60, or that's what I was told. They have 60 females, but my agency is huge too. Like it's, uh, I think they're at over, they're close to 800 allocated. Um, and then one of the other agencies that will be coming, they're allocated, I think like 900 and something. And these are the smaller age. They're like, well, we'll call them large agencies, but Atlanta PD is the largest agency. The ones I'm pulling from are still, we would consider large agencies and that's just the PD, not the sheriff's office. So, um, so that's why we're bringing 40 of them to try to impact more and then let them build out their own program, um, back in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually. That's that's the the West Coast Post Trauma. Have you heard of them before? No. So um, they run, it's like a five-day trauma retreat. Uh, they, they've got like a, a year-long waiting list. They're, they're one of the, the most popular retreats. But that's what they do is they, they call it their mentor program. And so they, they only take six people through the retreat at a time. Very intimate. Um, heard wonderful, wonderful things. We're, we're actually meeting with him next week. Um, but that's part of their program is that mentorship part that someone yeah. that's been through it that can also guide them through. And then they, you know, it's how they stay in contact after alumni, kind of, kind of all that thing. Um, really great idea. I mean, to, to be honest, I, I may have been on my phone a couple of times texting first responder women throughout the country that need to go to this <laughs> and need and, and want to chat with you about, yeah. you know, the possibility of, sure. of looking at making this a thing for for more people. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know that it exists anywhere. Um, when I was talking to the National Ability Center, they are also a nonprofit, and um, I feel like I'm a very organized person, and so when I just had my meeting with them, they're like, we would love for you to work with us because you're disorganized. I'm like, I will send you everything I need. It'll be in order. I'll do as much as possible. Um, and, and, you know, we're building our army is what we're doing, and, and it's great. And it, you know, they told us we found a niche they don't have. And so the great part about that is if in fact you are a military veteran, as well as a police or firefighter, like someone like me, where a bit I've served and then I'm in law enforcement, they can, um, they actually have some funding to help that particular person. Cause they get grant funding from the VA. Mm-hmm. So if you are a veteran, we can help scholarship you through. Like Josh and I were talking the whole time we did an application process because we were like, oh, we're going to get so many people. How do we narrow it down? Because there's only so many bids at the lodge that we can house. And so um, Josh actually funded a firefighter to come out of his own pocket, not out of the city's pocket. Um, And that, that helped because this girl had contacted me and she's like, I want to come, but I don't have the money. I was like, well, we'll find it for you. And so, um, that's one thing we're working on is getting sponsors, um, moving forward. You know, we, I hate asking people for money, but I have to realize it's not for me. It's for other people and the cause is great. So, 
Anybody listening can donate to us. I'll, I'll give that a shout out. Web, website, <laughs> anything like yeah, that? Yeah, it's on, so Project Overwatch. Um, so it's actually Project hyphen Overwatch and um, you, dot .org. You can go on that page and donate there. Um, so we'll be trying to connect with different companies and industry and stuff like that that can help pay for our women to come through. I know like some of the, some agencies have money, some don't. We had some girls pay out of pocket and I was like, Hey, if you're one of those people, like, let us know. We'll try to scholarship you, you know, we'll find the money. Um, we had a Chick-fil-A organization. They paid for, uh, one of their fire local firefighters. So it was great. So everything just worked out amazing. And I, I do look forward to continuing to do that going forward. I think it's great. So I don't know. I get excited really easily. Well, we're excited for you. It's, yeah. it, it's, Maybe it is a niche in one way, but I also see it as is it's an extraordinary uh, place to start. Where you know we do need uh, significantly more women in not just in public safety, but in leadership roles yeah. and stuff like that. We are we are hungry for that, and to recruit and retain them and develop them into the the people that. Uh, we would want, I mean, I, the thought I had when here over the past hours, it's like, okay, thinking about my, my force, if, if my daughter were to get pulled over, which ones of my, would I want it to be, you know? And it's like, yeah, a lot of them would be some of my, my females, because I just know they're going to be the ones that are going to be friendly. Or if, if, if they were in crisis or stuff like that, you know, and I look at, I look at how many examples I can think of where, where the the special skill set of women, be it intuition and and just everything else, has resolved situations. We had a cool one. Um, yeah, it's probably been about a month ago. Dude barricaded in his condo, third story, guns, the whole nine yards. You got the SWAT team there. You know they're all tricked out in their ninja outfits. You know barricade type thing. You know, and we're standing over here kind of like, you know, watching the whole thing going down. And what we had is we had a female detective that was on the phone with them, you know, talking back and forth. And within a, and within a relatively short amount of time, thankfully, because it was a hot day, this guy comes out. And it's like, we got we got every <laughs> muscled out SWAT ninja we got. I mean, we got 30 guys out there ready for for and dogs and, and shields and everything like that. Because this, this thing had the potential to be really ugly. And it was her and her skill set from afar that she de-escalated this situation to where the guy walked out and that was that, you know, versus, you know, had she not had those specific strengths and abilities and skills, you know, this could have turned into something that was undesirable in, in a conclusion versus a very great you know, a person in my position is like, that could not have gone any better. Yeah. You know, and the reason it went as good as it was, was not the the SWAT guys and their jammies and their training and their munitions and their show of force or anything like that. It's, it, it was a, it was, it was a cell phone call <laughs> with a, with a female detective of mine that connected with this guy. Yeah. And that was that. So, you know, we, that, those are. Those are the tools and the skills that uh, that we appreciate you having arrived in a place in your life where yeah you could you could sit in in your 
ivory tower there at the university and, and teach and get paid and, and, and that kind of stuff. But you're still very much, you're it, arguably even more than when you were actively in public safety, you are more engaged in building a better product on the side than maybe you are in the academic world. You know, there's kids coming through and they're learning great stuff in, 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 on the collegiate level, but you look at the things you're doing away from the university too. And I think you're building, um, stronger tools and, and a stronger future for the industry on that end, perhaps even more than, than on the university end. So way to burn the candle at both sticks, <laughs> at both ends, whatever you say. I'm an overachiever. There you go. <laughs> Well, I get told all the time. You've been you fighting your whole down. life. Why stop now? Yeah. Right? I don't know how to stop. You yeah. can't slow the train. No. Right. So. Well, I think we're probably running up on about an hour. We are. So one last thing. Project hyphen overwatch.org. Yep. Um, open to donations. It's a wonderful, a wonderful cause. Uh, and we'll wrap that up here. Uh, and I'm going to get you connected with some other people that want to be a part of this awesome thank you for having me and thank you thank you dr marcy hainley <laughs> <laughs>